Welcome to The Mother Whelm. This is a podcast for mothers and parents to safely share the challenges and triumphs of motherhood, shed light on taboos, and celebrate everyday victories. I'm your host Bronwyn, and I'm here to talk to you about all things motherhood, the miraculous parts and the overwhelming parts, the ones that make you wonder how you got here, and those that make you realise you're exactly where you should be. This podcast is produced on Darug and Gundungara country, land that has been the home of mothering and storytelling for tens of thousands of years. We acknowledge and pay our respects to the Darug and Gundungara elders, past, present and emerging as the traditional custodians of this land. On today's episode, I'm joined by Rebecca, a mum of two who gave birth to her first daughter at 33 weeks on an air ambulance at 13,000 feet. Rebecca is a clinical psychologist registrar who works in the perinatal space supporting women living in rural communities, and she shares her own experience of living on a sheep and cattle farm in New England. Rebecca brings her professional expertise and remarkable lived experience to our conversation, and it makes for a really beautiful and informative episode, which I'm sure you'll all enjoy. Let's begin. Thank you so much for joining me today, Rebecca. Could you start us off by telling us who is in your family? Yeah, so I'm Rebecca. I'm a psychologist here in New England and I've got two little ones. I've got Bernie, who is nearly 12 months old, and Maddie, who is nearly three. And their dad, Ross, he's a sixth generation sheep and cattle farmer here that brings us to the beautiful New England area. Um, surrounded by his family on our property as well Um, and my family are all located in Victoria. Yeah beautiful so can you tell me how did you meet and when did you move to New England? So we were up here uh, I guess at the beginning of COVID and um, crossed paths. I was studying at the uni here in Armadale and we met on Tinder um, of all places. Amazing. Uh, And given his background being in farming we can't really relocate the farm so it was a choice of whether I join him here or not and with the lockdowns Um, It wasn't really a question that being on a farm was probably a better place to be than in town. And I just kind of stuck around. Yeah, amazing. So what were you like before you became a mother? Oh, that's such a tricky one. I would say fiercely independent. And um, I've always had a lot of drive and motivation to explore and talk to new people and see and do new things and being a mum has brought about its challenges and I think in some ways the season of early early motherhood has meant that my wings are clipped a little bit (laughs) but I found other ways to adventure and explore and I think as the children start to find their feet and as well as us as parents I think it's easier to find that space to explore a bit further. Yeah and what were your expectations of motherhood before you had children? I thought I could do it all. I had grand plans of studying everything and doing everything with young children. Um, I thought the sleeping would be easy, that I had all the background professionally so I could probably just wing it and get it right the first time. Um, 
And obviously now that I'm too deep, I know that that is not the case. <laughs> it's certainly a lot harder than it looks, but I think it's it's been a it's been a beautiful challenge to come to terms with, I guess, the reality of a lot of, a lot of that learning that I've done. Yeah. And what was your mother like when you were growing up? Yeah, I think she was always a great mum. She's down in Melbourne and I think she was quite isolated as well. We lived on a farm in northeast Victoria. My mum and my dad, their gender roles in our family are very traditional. So my mum was very much the one that stayed home to look after us as children And that was really isolating for her, not only being in the country, but I think being out of the city and away from her family and friends for that support. And then also, too, we had our own challenges. Um, My sister passed away when she was a baby as well. So mum had to navigate the challenges of infant loss and how that looks in the bush as well. So there were a lot of challenges, but I think she overcame them and she's an incredibly strong-willed woman, which I definitely get her her strength and I guess her stubbornness to just push through and make it better for all of us. So were you, was that an older sister or a younger sister? Do you remember? Yeah, so I was two um, when my sister was born Mm -hmm. and then she passed away when she was nearly six months old. Do you have memories from that time? Uh, It's tricky to know what are memories and Mm. I guess what are the imagination that we create around those things. I certainly have memories of different toys and selecting toys from her bedroom and the process of family and friends visiting around that time. But I think children are incredibly resilient in that space and very practical when it comes to those sorts of challenges. And I was very lucky to have parents that explained everything that they could in a sensitive way so that I was able to process what I needed to. And they also reached out for support. My mum felt like she may have not provided the, the right sort of support or known how to support me as a child. So she had me speak to a psychologist when I was, um, I guess, early primary school, just to make sure as well that everything was settled and I was feeling comfortable with what had happened in the family. Yeah. And is that where your interest in psychology came from, do you think? I think so. And just a drive to communicate with people. I've always been a communicator and loved to speak with people. So I think being able to share that in a therapeutic way um, and the early life experience with psychologists and knowing how helpful they can be, I think that has really coloured my view of psychology. Yeah. And so what was your journey to motherhood like? It was challenging. I was quite isolated given that we where we live on a old sheep station. Um, the farm is about 40 minutes from Armadale and about an hour and 10 from Tamworth. So we have, have a couple of small towns around, but we don't really have a lot of services. And certainly during COVID, I didn't have access to my friends and family Um, So it was really challenging getting to appointments and things like that. I thought my pregnancy was tracking along really well. I hadn't had any challenges. I hadn't had any adverse health reactions to anything. But unfortunately, when I was 33 weeks pregnant, my 
my membranes ruptured spontaneously when I got out of bed uh, one morning and I called my partner. He was at the sheep yards and I, I said, oh, I think there's a bit of fluid on the ground here. <laughs> we might have to go down to hospital. I called Tamworth and they said, oh, look, it might be, but, you know, a lot of people have ruptures early and it might be safe. Um, just come down when you're ready, but you don't need to panic and um, call an ambulance or anything like that. So we did organise to make our way into time, the very weak contractions that I had, and we weren't really getting anywhere with any consistency or anything like that. They certainly weren't whopping and extremely painful as we'd been told they might be. By the time we got down to Tamworth, that was probably an hour and a half or two hours after the first call that I'd made to the hospital. And at that stage, my um, labour had progressed slightly. I'd had a little bit more in terms of contraction, um, some medication to slow the contractions and some steroids just in case baby was born um, to firm up her lungs a little bit before birth. But as it progressed, as the day progressed, it turned out that the medication wasn't going to stop my contractions. And uh, I think we were getting to the mid-afternoon then and the decision was made after consultation, um, not only with the registrar, but also the consultant that I would need to be flown to John Hunter in Newcastle because they don't like to birth babies before 34 weeks in Tamworth. Mm-hmm. Um, they just don't have the support services there and the funding to be able to um, keep the babies there. So they can birth them, but they have to transfer them out at that stage because they need a little bit too much support. So we got on the plane at Tamworth. So we went by road ambulance to the Tamworth um, airport and jumped on the plane, the ambulance plane. And within 15 minutes of being in the air, I started getting um, like hot and cold flushes. And I just thought straight back to a, um, a friend of my partner. She had recently birthed and she said close to the birth, she got hot and cold flushes and actually had to strip down uh, prior to the birth because of how she was feeling. And I thought, oh, no, it's coming. <laughs> We're getting pretty close. So um, I at that point, I asked for my legs to be unstrapped because I was strapped down to a gurney and mm. um, placed my legs on the various implements that were around me. And um, the flight nurse paramedic clambered over the top. And um, even though I was saying, well, I'm, I'm not quite ready, I don't know. And he said, as soon as you're ready to push, you need to push and I'm here to support you and we can do this. Um, I was pretty upset about not having any pain relief at that point mm-hmm. and I was I was asking for something um probably a little bit more assertively than I would normally communicate <laughs> with anyone <laughs> um and so between him and my partner they were fumbling around and just trying to stall and pretend they were getting medications out of a bag when they they weren't because they yeah. couldn't give me anything in flight and then big contractions started where I felt like I really needed to push so I had three big contractions where I needed to uh, push in really quick succession, so within 15 minutes, and my daughter was born. She was perfectly healthy, gestationally appropriate for her age, so she did have some breathing issues at first, 
Um, she was definitely getting enough oxygen, but she was sort of grunting as she was crying to keep her lungs inflated. But I was told that that's fine. And they would just keep an eye on her oxygen saturation as we progressed through the air and then landed in Newcastle. And she was perfectly fine. She continued this grunting as she was crying um, or what they call respiratory distress syndrome on the way to the hospital, but she didn't need any oxygen supplementation or anything like that because her levels were fine. And once we got into John Hunter, they then um, popped her on CPAP to hold her lungs open as she was breathing. Mm-hmm. And she was perfectly fine and healthy. There was nothing um, other than that she was in a rush to arrive mm-hmm. and um, she has a wonderful birth story. And the pilot gave us a um, a call at the hospital to let us know that she was born uh, three miles north of Patterson <laughs> at 13,000 feet. <laughs> amazing. That's amazing. So did you did she need to have a, any kind of NICU stay in Newcastle? Yeah, so because she was a 33-weeker, it's pretty common from my understanding now that their lungs are just not quite developed enough. So a lot of the 33-weekers, if you can't get the steroids in early enough, um, they normally need that CPAP support for a few days and then they move from that to then they're just in a humidity crib on their own because they need that temperature control and then they move to an open crib and all through this process they're also um, nose tube fed as well Mm -hmm. uh, because they don't have that suck swallow breathe reflex yet as well so we were busy pumping and making sure we had enough milk for her through the nose feeds and then eventually they bring in a, um, a speechy who can then just make sure that they're getting that right suck swallow breathe process Um, and then once that was finished I think we had two or three weeks in the NICU at John Hunter and then the next juggle became trying to align a bed in a local hospital to the farm with a flight home now this is really challenging because obviously sicker people get preference on these flights we weren't able to fly a little tiny baby home on our own or drive her um, the distance home so we had to wait for that space and then we ended up having to negotiate um we contacted armadale hospital because we just couldn't get a bed at tamworth and the agreement was that i would stay with her in the peds unit and keep an eye on her next to my bed so that we didn't need the nurse ratios that you need for a baby on their own because they don't have the funding for that Mm -hmm. so i had to stay in hospital for another two weeks with her in armadale until she got that weight stabilization outside of the humidity crib with the suck swallow breathe so she could come off that nose tube feeding and how was that for you as an as an entrance to motherhood as a very traumatic (laughs) entrance to motherhood I would say the more challenging part was coming home I think that our nurses and our doctors in the hospitals are absolutely fantastic the midwives they do such an incredible job I felt really safe with her in the NICU Um, As much as it is challenging leaving her and, you know, going and staying somewhere else while this process was happening, I felt really confident to know that she was in really safe hands. It wasn't until I got home and I got back to the farm and I was like, holy moly, this is all on me. I don't have all of those fancy things and gadgets to keep an eye on her. Uh, So the anxiety was really high. I think not only was I not sleeping because I had a newborn, but I was not sleeping because I was really hyper attuned to 
how she was going, what were her oxygen saturation levels. And then I think I had another level of my sister passing away as well as a baby. So Mm. I had this in the back of my mind that this is a reality that does happen for many, many women. So I was extra attuned to exactly how she was functioning and she did not leave my side. I think for probably the first 10 months I had her almost surgically attached to me. Uh, which is great for breastfeeding, but (laughs) it also meant that I didn't get much space for myself. And did you ever get a kind of reason for why she came early? Yes, yeah, so they um they took my placenta. One of the things they did on the plane was when my um they gave me the needle to have my placenta release, they bagged it straight away and I said, We do definitely have to take this to the hospital because it could be a clue as to what's happened. And mm-hmm. if there's anything wrong with her, then that gives a really good indication of why. Um when we were in the hospital, the midwife was quite happy to show us what she was looking for, and the placenta was completely intact and really, mm-hmm. she said, looked really healthy. So there was no indication that it was placenta related or anything like that Uh, I did put in a complaint to the hospital around the procedure having been placed on a plane um, in such progressed labor and why I was put in a position to actually birth on an aircraft and in that review process I got to meet with the head obstetrician at the Tamworth Hospital and he explained that I I was three centimetres when I was put on the aircraft and they definitely birthing that I was, that obviously it's on a bell curve and I just happened to be one of those outliers that dilates very quickly and obviously she was a little bit smaller. Um, she was on two kilos at that gestation. Moon's aligned, unfortunately, not in my favour at that time. And they do think that my um, membranes ruptured early because I have what they call an incompetent cervix. I hate the language that we use around women's health. Mm -hmm. Um, But they said that that just meant that my cervix was probably thinning a little bit too early, which meant that I couldn't carry a heavy baby at that later stage of pregnancy, which meant that she was released early. There was nothing that was an indication in terms of my biology um, I don't drink real, I didn't drink during pregnancy and I don't smoke. I don't have any other health outcomes that would have led to that. It's just one of those things that I have yeah. a weaker cervix. And then with my second pregnancy, um, we do think that I have um, what they also lovely language, an irritable uterus, <laughs> which also contributed to the cervix opening early. But with my second pregnancy, we started intervention really, really early with progesterone. And then I had a cervical stitch placed. Mm -hmm. at 16 weeks which carried the pregnancy through to full term beautiful yeah so how was how was your pregnancy with your second with all that in mind yeah lots of anxiety actually there was a lot of anxiety from myself and our family and then also the healthcare system around us so being in the bush we don't have access to a great number of staff. So staffing is an issue. We don't have access to a great number of facilities and materials to be able to support women with complex pregnancies. And a few times that I went into preterm labour and started having quite heavy contractions around that 28 to 30 week mark, there was a lot of challenge around anxiety and stress in the Um, support workers so I ended up in an ambulance with an ambulance officer saying to me what do I do if you go into labor and you birth I said well it's a stitch so there's probably going to be blood and pain both of those things you can manage Um, (laughs) 
it'll be okay. And for me, it just, it felt so strange being putting my psych hat on and trying yeah. to have to talk a paramedic through, oh you'll gosh. be okay. Um, <laughs> I just need to get to hospital because if there's a lot of bleeding, we need to be in hospital. And then when I got to the hospital, this particular time, my partner rang up to make sure that I had arrived and whether he should come in. And we had the midwives on the phone to him answer the phone saying, quick doctor, get in here. We've got a 28 weeker with a stitch in. We don't know what we're doing. And he just panicked thinking, yeah. oh my gosh, what do we do here? And it might've been that discharge, but I did have a few admissions where um, one of them, they actually said for the next week, we don't have an obstetrician present in this hospital. So if you do go into preterm labor, you need to ask them to take you somewhere else. Um, now this meant extra travel time to another hospital and we were going away that week to Byron. And I said, oh, should I cancel my holiday? And they said, no, how about we print your medical records and take them with you? Because there's a better hospital closer to Byron Bay than there is here so you might actually be safer if you stay up there for a little bit longer <laughs> oh my goodness so there was so how long did that did that go on for until until he was your son was it a boy yeah, yeah so my son was born, was born. I had 10 hospital admissions between oh 28 weeks and 37 to when he was born. And that was, yeah, so almost weekly up until he was born, they, I think they were extra cautious because they needed to make sure the contractions slowed down. I don't have contractions um, in a standard way. I don't feel a lot of them, but the, obviously the machine was picking up quite a few contractions that I wasn't getting. And so until that would settle down, then they would release me um, from hospital, given that we were over an hour away from Tamworth Hospital. And at that stage, it's a mountain road at nighttime. If it's wet, if it's icy, mm. there's a lot of challenges that come in there. So they were extra cautious, but it just meant a lot of testing. I've had the fetal fibromectin test, which they do several times to check the cervix to see if you are ready to birth and if it's ripening enough to start opening, which is a wonderful tool to be able to have, but it's also incredibly traumatic because they have to do it without any lubrication or anything mm. like that. So there were times where that was done where the midwives just held me down to do those tests. And that's that's also really traumatic when you think yeah. about it being your body and the options that we have as women <laughs> in, in birthing. It's, yeah. It questions consent a little bit, but yeah, I definitely absolutely. understand the necessity in having it done. And so how how is that managing all that while also having a child or a young child already? Yeah, it was challenging, I think, because I there was an added level of guilt, I guess, in terms mm. of we didn't have any support or anyone to look after her at home on the farm. So we couldn't leave her at home when we we're leaving at 11 o'clock at night because I'm getting contractions. So it was bundling her into the car and just having a backpack ready in the car as well for her with some snacks and sleep stuff. And sometimes it was her and her dad sitting in the car park at the hospital waiting to find out if I was going to be discharged. But there wasn't really much else that we could do. I knew that she was safe and she was with her dad and she had everything that she needed in the car, but it just meant some late nights with them camping mm -hmm. out for a few yeah. hours until they got told to go home and, and come back another day to pick me up. But if, I mean, I'm just glad that I got to birth in a hospital. When I balance her needing to be with her dad, waiting for a couple of hours in the car, we could make sure she was comfortable. We, she, we could make sure she had everything, but it meant that if anything did start to progress further, I could definitely be in a hospital um, yeah. for that support. Yeah. 
So with those feelings of anxiety and guilt and everything else, are you able to put your psych psych hat on for yourself? Like how do you how do you navigate that experience? Yeah, I think it's understanding that, and this is is I explain to a lot of clients that it's understanding that these emotions are really normal and they don't occur by accident. Anxiety, guilt, shame, whatever those feelings that we have, they actually serve as a way for our brain to guide our choices and to guide um, who we speak to, the things that we do, all of our actions that come next. So understanding that the anxiety was there as a really great protective mechanism to make sure I didn't have the same outcome that I had the first time, knowing that birthing can often be more rapid in a second birth. So I knew that I needed to be prepared a little bit earlier. I knew that if something happened, I needed to be a little bit more assertive with my healthcare team. Uh, when I presented to hospital a few times and I a new midwife or a new nurse was assessing me at triage and I was questioned as to why I was presenting with such minor symptoms, they would often minimise or dismiss me until they opened up my medical record and the look of shock <laughs> when they mm. realised that I had a baby on a plane, they then would move quite quickly. But it was just knowing that my anxiety is preparing me to be able to deal with something that is a threat and that's that's the purpose of it. Not feeding into it though in terms of meaning that we never went on holidays, we never did anything, we never left the house that would be a secondary level of, I guess, um, using it in a maladaptive way, but just using it for what it's good for and making sure I was nice and prepared and everyone around me knew what was going on um, and that I connected with a doctor really early. I made sure that I was in with an obstetrician from eight weeks and I, I chased my referral through because it got lost and I followed it up and followed it up and followed it up until I got in with this obstetrician and he was quite happy to manage the pregnancy early. And I've got no doubt that starting that early intervention is what got my son through to full term. Mm. He was born less than two days after the stitch was removed. So I don't doubt that it was exactly that that held him in there long enough. Yeah, brilliant. And I really love that. I mean, I have heard about anxiety being, you know, it is meant to be protective in terms of like we think that we're in danger so we get anxious about things but I and I definitely do have anxiety but I, I've never thought of it as like it could be helpful like I I always yeah. it always feels a bit like an enemy <laughs> um but that's we don't we don't need to go into that as a whole thing but that's it really kind of feels like a light bulb moment of being like okay maybe that's something I could think about in the future and I think it's really helpful for a lot of people to know that it's it serves a purpose. It's not it's not a mistake. There's nothing wrong with you for having anxiety. The the challenge is when it stops you from living your daily life and achieving the things that you need to achieve. That's where stepping in and getting some help is necessary. But pausing in the moment and saying, what is it asking me to do? What is the anxiety trying to tell me to do right now? And mine was absolutely saying, you have a shonky cervix and you need to make sure <laughs> that you are on the ball about this because you don't have those resources at your doorstep like people in the city do. Mm -hmm. So you need to get up and you need to chase these referrals and you need to see the right doctors and you need to get the right steps in place. Pack your bags early, get everything ready because you don't have a cervix that's going to carry you through to the end of the pregnancy. That's what my anxiety was trying to tell me and just tell me to be prepared. So once I'd achieved that, that, 
I knew I had all my ducks in a row and it was about then using some self-soothing strategies and really challenging if any thoughts came up for myself around panic or um, that I need to be careful or anything like that that was beyond preparation stuff mm-hmm. that I challenged those things and I just moved forward in a in a calm way as much as possible before a baby's yeah. born with a toddler. <laughs> yeah. So do you feel like your births, but more so, I guess, your birth with your daughter and your pregnancy with your son, do you feel like those experiences impacted your postpartum or your overall experience of motherhood? Absolutely. I think that having a any birth, it is one in three women uh, express that their birth was traumatic. So I think that it's understandable that that then um, colours your postpartum journey in terms of risk of postnatal depression or anxiety. For me, it was anxiety. I'm a person that's drawn to anxiety anyway. It's my main coping strategy. So I think in that postpartum period, having had, um, you know, had a baby on a plane and had that experience of being so isolated down in Newcastle before coming back and then laid on top of that the loss of my sister when I was a child. I've got this very real understanding that my my life and the life of my children is fragile and that things don't always go the way that we plan for them to. So that then feeds the anxiety that what can I do to keep us safe? So for me, it was just making sure that Every doctor's appointment was attended. We had to go to a few extra appointments because my daughter was preemie just to make sure that everything was developing as it should because things like cerebral palsy are really much more common in children um, that are born prematurely. So just watching for those things, but then also being in the middle of a pandemic, it meant that I was extra careful around our exposure and leaving the farm and things like that and just extra strict on people being around us to make sure that everyone was vaccinated and things like that. I don't doubt that um, my general level of concern around those things, which is generally pretty pretty strong in alignment with the science was extra heightened because Mm -hmm. of that experience that we'd had. And I think that it was about challenging that and knowing when I should and shouldn't act. Um, And that took some time. I think there was definitely times where there were hard conversations in the family around making sure we still engage with people and don't stay at home too much because that's the nice safe little cocoon that we have but then taking those steps outside when we need to and engaging, making sure we're socialising and seeing family and things like that is really important. Yeah. You'd mentioned that realisation that you no longer had the technology or the the people there when you returned home with your daughter. How did you navigate that moment of being like, okay, I'm the boss here, like the one in in charge, (laughs) the the one who has a responsibility here? For me, it felt like, I was stealing a baby the day that I walked out of the hospital <laughs> with my daughter because I felt like I've had to rely on so many medical practitioners every day, even times when we do feeds and nappy changes and, or as they call it in, um, in NICU and John Hunter, it's the cares time. And, and so these things were really planned and really structured. So then to come home or to even walk out of a hospital and think, no one's following me to my car. No one's checking that I've done this correctly. It really felt like I was stealing a baby. And I think knowing that process, I did a lot of research into the technologies that you can purchase, like the the socks and the different um, oxygen monitors and things like that, that you can have at home. And 
asking the doctors in the hospital and I was told that a lot of that stuff you probably don't need. If you did need it, we would be sending you home, if not keeping you here a little bit longer to have that with you. So I think that was a bit more comforting in leaning on them for their expertise. But I, to be honest, really, really loved that comfort that I had in the NICU. I felt really, really safe and supported. Of course, you're going to get um, different personality clashes with different nurses and things like that. And I certainly wasn't immune to the odd comment that I was a bit miffed with, but Mm. I think much over muchness, it was a really lovely experience and welcome into mothering because it was so heavily guided and supported and I never felt pressured to breastfeed I was asked how would I like to feed my baby and being a premature baby the feeding process may not develop um, in terms of breastfeeding but what would I like to do and what would I be comfortable with and I felt that that was a really non-judgmental way of just making sure that I was comfortable and then when I expressed that I would like to breastfeed they were really really supportive of that and when it was progressing slowly and not as I'd hoped they were really encouraging of just keep going and supporting me in that and not judgmental in terms of my skill set or what I was not doing well enough or anything like that it was just this is the process for some and let's help you through that which I thought really gave me a really solid foundation for breastfeeding my daughter three to 13 months um And then again, with my um, with my son, I think the breastfeeding journey was a lot easier because I'd had that really solid foundation of the NICU nurses helping me through that process, too. Yeah, beautiful. So how have you changed since becoming a mother? I think there's been a lot of changes in identity. I traveled a lot when I was younger and through early adulthood. And I've been really, really independent. And I think now with motherhood that's shifted quite significantly. I wouldn't say that I am nearly as adventurous as I was before. I certainly don't travel as much as I had before, but I think the journey through motherhood has brought me to a place where I think there's new adventures to have and there's new juggles (laughs) to try and navigate that are challenging, but I think certainly through my birthing experience and the challenges, I feel quite confident in the discomfort and the unknown that we are not perfect and we are not always going to get it right the first time and we're not always going to have the right supports or services around us when we ask for them. So sometimes we need to advocate for ourselves and be quite assertive in what we're looking for and seek more information, get a second opinion, speak to another doctor, speak to another nurse and just be comfortable with that discomfort and know that it's telling you to do something. I think that's a really definitely something I'm going to take away from today because I think it's a really beautiful, helpful way of, of thinking about about those kinds of feelings. How has your relationship with your body changed, I guess, as a result of becoming a mother, but also with those challenges that you had in birth and pregnancy with your children? Yeah, I I think as a young woman, a young adult, I struggled with my body shape and weight and feeling comfortable in my own skin as we do when we sort of come through puberty and into early adulthood and As much as my cervix obviously failed me in the first round, 
I think knowing that my body, I felt really empowered knowing that my body could do what it needed to do. And I could do that virtually unassisted on a plane without any medication, that it was able to do that. And it was highlighted for me the day after my daughter was born. So she was born at uh, 5.15 in the evening. And the next day I was walking into NICU and the nurses in the NICU said, you don't look like you just had a baby because I was feeling good. I was feeling comfortable. I was obviously postpartum and still coming down off that high and bleeding and things like that. But I felt okay. Everything was coming back together. I was very fortunate to have been able to have a vaginal birth. And I don't also don't doubt that having a vaginal birth meant that my recovery was very quick. But being able to walk around the next day and go about, I went to the shops to buy clothes because I didn't have anything on me when I got on the plane. So being able to do that and be able to walk around Kmart so quickly after birthing, it made me feel empowered that my body is strong and my body is able to do what it needs to do when it needs to do it. Coming into my second pregnancy again, it, I knew that I needed I needed some crutches. I needed some help. I couldn't quite do it on my own. So that's where I knew that I needed to lean on an obstetrician and get that support early on with that cervix. But it was trusting my gut and trusting myself um, when I went into labour. I knew myself that my labours don't progress as textbook. So presenting to hospital once the stitch was out on that Monday morning, knowing that I'm having contractions and I now no longer have the backup of the stitch to keep the baby in. And even when the midwives were saying, oh, you've you've really spaced apart, you'll know, you'll know, you'll know when you're going into labour, it'll be really whopping contractions. And I just did that niggle in the back of my mind was, I don't quite trust what they're saying because my body does things a little bit differently. So knowing that in myself that, yeah, I'm in the right place. I was just happy to be physically in a hospital. <laughs> that, But listening to the midwives saying, no, you're ages away. This is not happening as quickly as you think it is. That was cause for me just to question them a little bit. And, and that was true once I progressed a little bit further by the afternoon. I felt a change in myself. Again, I had the hot and cold flushes. And I asked to be checked again. They were dismissive of that and said, no, you're, you're quite a way away. And they said, but how about you toddle down to birth suite and we'll have a look down there. And then when they did, they said, wow, you're bulging. Membranes are bulging. As soon as we break that, you are birthing and you'll be birthing very quickly because his head was fully engaged. So just knowing myself that physically I was not presenting normally, I was not having those regular contractions but I trusted my gut to know that, no, something's shifted in myself right now. And fortunately, I wasn't in a great deal of pain. I can't say that for me, childbirth was the most excruciating experience. Certainly, the final stages were challenging, but I didn't have a really terrible labour. I wouldn't say that I was in a great deal of pain for the duration, um, but just having a trust in myself and my body to be able to do what it needed to do. And has your relationship with your intuition always been that strong or has it kind of been a process to getting there? I think it has been strong for other things in terms of feeling confident about interpersonal relationships and 
how I juggle different things in my life, but it hadn't really occurred to me that that intuition can be so focused entirely on my physical capacity mm-hmm. and being able to carry a baby or birth. And I think being able to trust my body to do what it needed to do. And then also to recover. I had um, retained product after my second and I knew something was wrong afterwards. I felt different. The afterbirth contractions were very different I was in a little bit more pain that I had experienced before and it just took being quite assertive with the midwives saying no this isn't normal something's wrong I'm not I'm not okay and then after seven days I had that retained product made itself known and we needed to take some steps and I ended up having to have a DNC to have that removed but just being able to continually check in with my medical team and saying no something's wrong and trusting myself to be able to to follow that up. So I did want to ask before you became a mother and you've kind of mentioned a couple of times that you were more adventurous what kind of adventures would you have? What what are you thinking of in particular when you say that? I think I travelled quite a bit when I was younger and was not opposed to taking off at the last minute. <laughs> and I went and lived in Turkey for a year on a whim Amazing. through uni and went to East Timor and New Guinea and a few places that you wouldn't necessarily have high on the, the tourist list like you do Bali and things like that. And I think when you've got young children and added stresses and pressures with them, that those sorts of things are not necessarily on the top of the, the travel list. So I hope to be able to do those things one day. And we've certainly travelled overseas with the children, but we've done the safe trip to Bali and we've Mm -hmm. done the trips around Australia and things like that. But I hope to be able to take more adventurous steps with them in the future that don't require quite as much planning and um, to be a little bit more, I guess, fly by the seat of my pants a little Mm -hmm. bit more than we do at the moment. Yeah. And so can you tell us a bit about your work? Yeah, so I'm a clinical psychologist registrar, which means that I've done all of my psych training. I'm a generally registered psychologist, but I've also done a master's in clinical psychology. So I'm in the final stages of being endorsed as a clinical psychologist. That means that I get a little bit of extra supervision and I have to do some more reporting on, um, I guess, the types of clients that I see and the things that I work with Um, in a therapeutic sense. I started off my early career in Melbourne and worked in domestic violence and sexual assault support services with women. I then moved and worked in a telehealth uh, role from Coffs Harbour because there weren't that many jobs there and then progressed up to Armidale to do some more study and onto the farm. Now, when I moved onto the farm, there's not a lot of jobs around. I can commute to Tamworth. I could commute to Armidale, but they weren't really the ranges of, I guess, work that I would want to be doing. So I went into private practice and that's really where I've sparked this interest in bringing together the, um, I work from a feminist perspective in terms of having a background in domestic violence and sexual assault work and working in a women's health space. That's really been quite helpful for that. 
built on top of my background, I guess, when I was in Melbourne as well. I've worked in eating disorders clinics, sleep disorders clinics, and with general mental health. So it brought a nice range of services that I could to working with women. And being in private practice, there's no one else here. So I needed to make sure that I had a client base that I was really comfortable and secure in treating that I didn't feel concerned um, where if I think I was treating a few more men or, or people that had um, challenging presentations, that'd be hard for me in private practice. And I really want my clients to feel safe and secure in this space, which means I have to as well. And then knowing the challenges that women face in rural areas in terms of their isolation, access to services, the adverse health outcomes and things like that that we face, I think it really well positioned me to support women, both in my area and I treat women now in WA, Queensland on sheep state, cattle stations, in Victoria on big sheep properties. So I think it's it brings that understanding to a closer community, although we are really isolated. And how has motherhood affected your work persona or your relationship with your work? I think it's brought about a realness to understanding the challenges faced by women, that we all study a bit of perinatal mental health. We definitely learn about postnatal depression. We can tick all these boxes in a academic sense, but I think until you are walking over the coals yourself, you can't quite understand what the lived experience is. And I certainly can't speak for all mothers and all mothers that have had a traumatic birth history or anything like that. But I think having that understanding of having to juggle the farm life, having to juggle rural isolation, having to juggle these challenges, accessing healthcare and navigating even the pathway home that is safe, that I can get a bed for myself and my daughter in a hospital, that brings about a colouring and an understanding to my practice that it's unspoken. I don't have to share my birth story. I don't have to share that. But I think the understanding that is shared is that we are here together and it isn't something that you necessarily have to explain in its entirety for me to understand quite how challenging that can be. Yeah, I think that I definitely would feel more comfortable. I mean, I mean there, there was a situation, I can't even really remember what it was exactly, but it was about motherhood, something to do with motherhood. And I was recommended a male psychologist and I was, I was like, well, what, is, what would he know? You know, um, whether or not he, I, I really can't remember what it was in particular, but I know it was a psychologist and I know it was a man. And I remember thinking I would feel much more comfortable with a woman and not only a woman, but a mother as well. So I think like you, you said, you kind of don't need to, there is that understanding there, that sense of security yeah. when you know someone's had, like you said, has walked over the coals and does have that lived experience it definitely does bring bring a level of comfort I think as a yeah on the other side has becoming parents together changed your relationship I think so I we were quite happy-go-lucky and um, really quite carefree I have three stepsons as well so there was a little bit he is the pro definitely the pro in this space when it comes to (laughs) children and and settling I actually have him to thank for starting the breastfeeding process in the NICU because when they asked me to express some colostrum and I had no idea he's like I do this with the sheep all the time I could probably (laughs) 
figuring out if you need a hand. And so he was quite comfortable in that process. And so that for me was really comforting to know that we're really great team players in this space. It has definitely changed, I think, going through him being there and, and witnessing the birth of his daughter in on a plane and I guess the challenges that came from that he was very empowered by that experience where I had to slow everything down and say hey there was a moment there where I thought things were going to go south and we need to be conscious of that and slow it down but I think knowing that we are stronger together as a team because of what we've been through and even we were reflecting on this when we were heading down to Tamworth for the, I don't know, what feels like the 50th time for preterm contractions with my second. We were laughing about how we've got this down pat and we know the routine and we know what we're doing when we walk into the hospital. And even now there's this unspoken understanding that, you know, when we, we're doing farm work and things like that, we can pick up on what the other person is thinking and needing doing before we actually need to say it and I think that's really helped there's seasons of all relationships and I think I hope for it to come back to that fun sort of carefree stage eventually but sitting in this space of raising small children is such a privilege and I think Mm -hmm. being able to share that with him and see what a wonderful father he is and also guide me I am so green in this he's got some runs on the board when it comes to looking after small children so leaning on him and knowing that the kids are perfectly safe with him if I want to take off for a few hours and have a sleep in and things like that he is really great at at juggling them so leaving it up to the expert when I need to as well (laughs) yeah beautiful so what has been one of the more challenging moments of your motherhood journey I think just coming to terms with the isolation that having done my training, I'm certainly not from Melbourne, but having spent quite a few years there doing my training, that's really where a lot of my base is and my good friends and family. So realizing that when my friends can call on their parents or, you know, the grandparents of their kids to support them, they're not too far away or friends and family, their brothers and sisters to step in as aunties and uncles. I don't have that privilege. And that for me was really isolating. And then stepping outside of that again and thinking, well, what supports can I get access to and realizing that there are very few, there are really very few supports for women in the bush. When we have been through these things, I didn't, didn't have anyone to lean on other than chasing my obstetrician down and locking him in really early for my second pregnancy, I I didn't have any supports. And that's a really deafening echo when you realise that you are alone and it is just you. And I, for me, that my heart sank for my clients that have those extra health or mental health issues that really confound those challenges of pregnancy and that isolation that I felt that if I had have had any more extreme mental health issues, isolation, financial challenges, all of these really, really negative predictive factors that I could have had a much worse outcome with both of my pregnancies and postpartum periods. So I feel very fortunate to know that I can chase access to support when I need it. But it was really hard knowing that really I am on my own and no one's going to come and knock on my door and offer Mm. me help when I need it. Yeah. 
And I was wondering, were you able to kind of join like an online type of mother's group? Like, did you have anyone who you felt any kind of kinship with who was in the same season as you when you became a mother? Yeah, with my first, I found some online communities for Premi mums and I guess understanding the process that they were going through when I was in the NICU, I joined quite early might have even been on the recommendation of one of the NICU nurses. She said, jump on Facebook. There's some really great Facebook pages for mm-hmm. Premi mums and take some of it with a grain of salt, but know that these women are in this journey with you and they yeah. are um, going through similar stages, maybe some more progressed and maybe some are starting out a little bit earlier than you were as well, but it'll give you an idea of what the trajectory that you have or what most people have. And that was really comforting knowing, I guess, when to expect to leave hospital when most people do, because certainly the doctors can't tell you when you're going to be discharged, but you can see what did other people have? What were the processes around having other 33-weekers and what were the interventions that they required and things like that? So that was really helpful being around that. And then returning home, I actually had a number of people approach me once we returned home and explained that they had had preemie babies. And although their kids were a little bit older, it was really great to have that understanding that mutual understanding of I guess the challenges of having preemie babies and wanting to protect them and cotton wool them a little bit more than I certainly do with my second he's very gung-ho and I was very (laughs) protective of my first and then I also had that support of I had a mother's group here that my daughter was a little bit bigger and a little bit older than those kids because we had a little bit of a delayed start to the mother's group process. But it was really nice to connect with those mothers. And there are another three mums that we catch up once a month still and we have those dinners together. And it's really nice to have that space where our kids can grow up together as well. Lovely. And what has been one of the most rewarding parts of your motherhood journey? I think... Seeing how strong and resilient kids can be, that my daughter, having been born so early and frail, and I've got some videos of her really struggling. You can see the lungs moving quite a bit when she's in the in the humidity crib, and she's well supported and she's definitely safe. But seeing how fragile they are like that, and then now seeing this little nearly three-year-old throw herself around a room <laughs> and do kinder gym and hurtle through the air when she's jumping off stuff and just how strong and confident she is that for me has been such a incredibly eye-opening experience and I'm so grateful for seeing that strength and now the bond between her and her brother that I just think is it's so beautiful to see that growing and know that that's come from the strength in me and the strength in her father and how we work together as a team I think that's it's such a blessing. What has surprised you most about motherhood? How much you can't even go to the toilet without a little person attached. <laughs> I, just, I never realised I would have quite so little privacy. I always, I knew from my friends who had had babies where they said your your sense of um I guess, modesty around your body and things like that will go completely out the window once you've birthed in front of a room of strangers. But the sense of privacy and um, autonomy over my own body, that was Mm. something that 
I was not necessarily prepared for. And I think in a way that was one of the more challenging aspects of early, um, I guess, breastfeeding and things like that was just how much my body is not my own in those early stages and moving forward, you know, having to be there to comfort despite my own frustrations and anger uh, or whatever that might be at that time, really being in control of myself to regulate and bring myself down to my children's level to try and bring that soothing to them. That's something that I guess has been a bit a bit interesting. Yeah, I was having a conversation with my husband the other day actually because I've got a four-year-old, a two-year-old and Evie he's six months old and my boys, it's like they're not aware that I have feet because they're always like in front of me and stepping on my feet. They're not aware that my body is mine. Like they think it belongs to them. And like, you know, they, they think of me as mummy mountain because they're always like climbing over me and clambering over me. And like you can get really get that that touched out feeling and overstimulated and just have to kind of just release, like work at releasing like all right, because you know, very soon they're not gonna want anything to do with me. They'll they won't be clambering and wanting puddles and kisses and yeah, okay. I'm gonna stop talking now and ask you a question and mute myself again. She, she's got a lot to add as well. What is something that you do for yourself? That's a really good question. I <laughs> should be doing more for myself. I was really into horse riding and seeing my friends and being outdoors prior to babies. And I tried to really get back into that between my first and my second. Uh, but it's it's not been something that I've been able to do. So for me now, it's about making sure that I have regular small pockets of space for myself. So that's once a month catching up with my mother's group friends for dinner and we are a no babies and no partners policy. So <laughs> we can go out and have dinner by ourselves. And if we want to have a whinge about everyone else, that's okay. Uh, so making sure I carve out that time and also making space for myself in my everyday. So when my days are really, really busy and I'm rushing to do the daycare drop off before I get into the office and I've got back-to-back appointments all day, I'm very strict about my lunch break being between 12 and 1. And having an hour lunch break is a little bit of a luxury, but I make sure that I have that hour every day to myself. And whether that's just walking down the street and getting a coffee or sitting in a cafe on my own, I make sure I'm really present in that space. So I try and put my phone away and I try and take in what's around me because I do feel touched out and I do feel overstimulated when I'm at home and everyone's wanting everything at once. And I know that I just have to wait and the next day or come Monday, I will have that space for myself for at least an hour in the middle of the day. That is such a luxury that I know that I was not afforded when I had really young babies. So I make sure that I I really cut that out of my day every day and it's there for me. And it's amazing just look at what a difference that kind of little tiny break makes from like a break break from, you know, responsibilities of, of mothering, but also work and just, or any, any kind of work, just kind of being able to sit with yourself. It does make such a huge difference. Yeah. If you could visit yourself before you became a mother, what advice would you give her? Pack your hospital bags earlier and make sure you take them with you 
for everything, I think, <laughs> uh, not knowing that I'd have a preemie. I knew nothing about premature births before I had my daughter. I was not prepared. I did not have my bags packed. I arrived in Newcastle after giving birth to my daughter with not even a spare pair of underwear. So it was challenging to not be that prepared. So next time around, I think if I had my time again, I'd probably say get prepared a little bit earlier. I think to maybe cherishing those moments with their dad a little bit more when we had those hours where we could just lounge around on a weekend mm-hmm. and do nothing and sit on the couch or stay up late and watch a movie alone and not have to be interrupted by crying children. Those things I think I would go back and remind myself to just be present a little more, get off the phone and <laughs> be there with him in that space because it will come again. I don't doubt that we'll be back in that space eventually one day. But I think being present in the season that you're in is really, really important. Mm-hmm. Are there any influential texts like other podcasts, books, programs or social media accounts that you would recommend to our listeners? Definitely the Facebook groups around um, Premi Babies. They are targeted. It's an Australian group that I was in. Mm-hmm. They There are obviously people in those groups that have had very traumatic experiences. So it does come with a little bit of a caution that um, remove yourself when you need to, if you if you have to. But having a look in there and asking for uh, a link to women that are at a similar place in their journeys or have had similar experiences, but then checking out when you need to as well. So I think it needs to be balanced. Um, I've certainly called pregnancy, birth and baby more than once. My daughter was a very unsettled baby and we had that purple crying stage for quite mm. a time. And that was really challenging. I remember their, uh, their dad was actually away at the time and he returned on the Monday to me being quite frazzled and he asked if I had postnatal depression and I said, no, you just wait till four o'clock when she starts and you will see that this is this is next level. This is, I've never seen anything like this before. But I had called pregnancy, birth and baby when it first happened just to find out what was going on. And the lovely nurse that spoke to me on the phone actually said, it's really normal as long as your baby's fed and comfortable and warm and being changed you really don't need to worry about it if they're obviously not breathing properly or you've got any of these negative health indicators then go to hospital but children crying at this age is very normal um, and to this extreme length is absolutely normal Mm -hmm. so you have to find your way through it if you can and her advice to me was if it's really getting under my skin pop some earplugs in and comfort her on the couch, still cuddling her and cradling her, but with earplugs in. If it's still really challenging and you're really touched out, then pop her in the car seat and go for a drive with your earplugs in because you know she's safe in the car seat, but you can get a little bit of space. And if you can't drive anywhere, even popping her down in her cot for five minutes while you step out of the room and get a glass of water, even with her crying like that, if there's no other suffocation hazards in the cot, that is not dangerous. And it's Mm. actually important for you to get just a quick reprieve before you go back to comforting her. So that advice from pregnancy, birth and baby was really, really wonderful. And my understanding is a lot of those, you know, health direct and the other phone line services are really great as well. 
Thank you so much for sharing your motherhood journey with us. I really appreciate you taking the time and that we were able to align things and for sharing those birth stories. I appreciate your trust in sharing that. No worries. <laughs> You've been listening to The Mother Whelm, where we celebrate honest, unfiltered stories of motherhood. If you would like to be interviewed for The Mother Whelm, please send an email to themotherwhelm at gmail.com or send a direct message to me on Instagram under the handle at the.motherwhelm. If today's episode resonated with you, I would love for you to join our community on Instagram. This is where you can find updates and behind-the-scenes content and share your own unique journey using the hashtag MotherwellMoments. To keep these powerful conversations going, please rate, review and subscribe wherever you find podcasts. And don't forget to share the show with fellow mums who might find solace, laughter or inspiration in these stories. Until next time, you've been listening to the Mother Whelm. Perfect. Beautiful job. Thank you, my darling.